The scripture reading this morning is taken from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 26, verses 14 to 33. Then one of the twelve, the one called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and asked, What are you willing to give me if I deliver him over to you? So they counted out for him thirty pieces of silver. From then on, Judas watched for an opportunity to hand him over. On the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Where do you want us to make preparations for you to eat the Passover? He replied, Go into the city to a certain man and tell him. The teacher says, My appointed time is near. I am going to celebrate the Passover with my disciples at your house. So the disciples did as Jesus had directed them and prepared the Passover. When evening came, Jesus was reclining at the table with the twelve, and while they were eating, he said, Truly I tell you, one of you will betray me. They were very sad and began to say to him one after the other, Surely you don't mean me, Lord? Jesus replied, The one who has dipped his hand into the bowl with me will betray me. The Son of Man will go just as it is written about him. But woe to that man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. Then Judas, the one who would betray him, said, Surely you don't mean me, Rabbi? Jesus answered, You have said so. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat, this is my body. Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine, from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus told them, This very night you will all fall away on account of me, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Peter replied, even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. One really uh, popular game these days is, especially for children and teens, is the game called Among Us. The game's uh, premise is that within a group of crewmates, there is an imposter who is out to kill the rest of the crew. When one person is killed, there is an emergency meeting that can be called where people can vote to guess who the real imposter is. And this game was inspired by another game in the analog days called uh, Mafia, where you take cards and you pass them out and, and have uh, one person who becomes, uh, one, two, anyways, a few people who become uh, the assassin. This is almost like the scene I imagined in the Last Supper of Jesus. Everyone is sitting around or reclining around the table, and Jesus says to his disciples that one of you will betray me. It's like a scene from a movie where Jesus, as the Godfather, says to his 12 disciples, and I'm not going to do any of the Godfather impersonations, I've invited you into my home. Had you lived with me for three years, you saw me do miracles 
And now we are celebrating this Passover meal together, but yet I know one of you will betray me. And everyone says to Jesus, no way, Jesus, you don't mean that I would betray you. Never. I will never betray you. I was Googling one of the, you know, the, the most famous betrayals of all time. And one of the stories that keep popping up is the story of Jesus and Judas. But another story that pops up pretty commonly is the story of Brutus who betrayed Julius Caesar. And this made the saying, the Ides of March, popular. I didn't know this until doing this research that the Ides of March is, is um, March 15th. And this day would be forever marked by this story because of what happened. We know that Brutus was one of the closest friends of Julius Caesar, but conspired to kill and assassinate him because Julius Caesar was becoming so popular. He was in... Um, Rome, where they, there was a republic, it was run by the Senate, but Julius Caesar becomes, became so popular that the Senate was jealous and, and scared of what Rome would be. And so they convinced Brutus to conspire and to assassinate Caesar. In a, whatever they do in their meeting, um, Julius Caesar would be stabbed 23 times and while he was being stabbed in the story that was made famous by Shakespeare, uh, it, it, the story goes that Caesar was struggling while he was being stabbed. And, but then he saw Brutus, who also had a, a knife with him, and he stopped struggling because he saw that the one that betrayed him was one of his own. And this is where the famous line from Shakespeare comes from, uh, et tu brute, which means... And you too, Brutus? Or, and you also, Brutus? And what is common in the list of betrayals that is that what makes a betrayal so great is the closeness of the relationship, the person who betrayed the other person. Meaning, depending on how much you love someone or how close you are to that person will dictate the level of betrayal you would feel from the one who betrayed you. The greatest betrayals in life is when a husband cheats on his wife or a son betrays his father. Those are so painful and heartbreaking because those are the people who are supposed to have your back. Those are the people in your life who you care about and want them to care for you. Just before the scene of the Last Supper, we see Judas has decided to betray Jesus by asking, asking the chief priests, what are you willing to give me if I deliver him to you? And we know the story, right? It was for 30, 30 pieces of silver. And some have argued that Judas betrayed Jesus for, for money, but some argue that that can't be the case because 30 pieces of silver wasn't a lot of money. It was what costed uh, one slave at that time. So it wasn't like that this amount of money would have set Judas off for the rest of his life, and so that was what tempted him. Some argue that it's because Judas wanted Jesus to save himself, to show, him, to show the world his power. And some argue that it was because Judas did not want a revolt. But whatever the reason was, we know that it was Judas who betrayed Jesus. 
And one thing that I want to point out about this story is that Judas was not the only one who would betray Jesus. Yes, Judas did hand over Jesus to the authorities, but even looking at the story, wouldn't this have happened to Jesus anyways? We know that the authorities were after Jesus, and it wasn't like Jesus was hiding somewhere where where Judas pointed out to the authorities that this is where Jesus is hiding. All he did was really to give him a kiss. And it's not to belittle what Judas did, but I I do think Judas gets a really bad rep. Yes, what, what he did was wrong and evil, but was it unforgivable? Again, as we look at this story, we see that not only is Judas the betrayer, the betrayer of Jesus, every one of his disciples would also desert Jesus. Verse 31, Then Jesus told them, This very night you will all fall away on account of me, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Peter replied, Even if all fall, fall away on an account of you, I never will. Even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. Actually, Peter, you will. And you will do it three times. Just before, around the table... Jesus shared with his disciples that one of them would betray him. Here after dinner, Jesus shares with the disciples that every one of them will fall away or stumble in their loyalty of him. The disciples who also lived with Jesus for three years, who who he loved and cared for deeply, who were his most uh, closest people in his life, would all desert him. I think it's important to notice that what we call the Lord's Supper, or what we call here as communion, is sandwiched, pun intended, between the two betrayals. This event that we celebrate regularly in the church is written within the midst of the desertion of all of his disciples. It is a bittersweet scene where it is precisely through their desertion and betrayal that salvation and forgiveness will come to all people. Listen to what Jesus says here. Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat, this is my body. Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. If Jesus was not arrested by the authorities, he would not have been crucified. If he was not crucified, he would not have been resurrected. If he wasn't resurrected, the world and the church as we know it would not be what it is. The reality is that he was betrayed, he was deserted, and was arrested, crucified, and was resurrected. The salvation narrative of Jesus includes the betrayal and desertion of his closest followers. What this means is that the salvation of Jesus entered into all betrayals and all desertions of the world. When Jesus says, this is my body broken for you and this is my blood shed for you, Jesus is entering into all of humanity's brokenness and sin. He's entering into all of the hurt, the wrongs, the mistakes, the sickness, the evil in the world, and is redeeming it, redeeming it, 
In Christ, there is forgiveness of sins. I wonder if Judas actually heard the words of Jesus. I wonder if he paid attention to what Jesus was doing when he was talking about his body and his blood. Judas actually ate the bread and drank the cup, right? Was he so caught up in his own conspiracy that he missed out on what Jesus was offering through himself? Did he miss out on the fact that even Judas himself could be forgiven? As this Sunday is Palm Sunday, this story of the Last Supper is a good reminder for us of how fickle we can be. With one breath, we praise Jesus, and with another, with the crowds, we curse him and say, crucify him. We, like the disciples, the 12 disciples, can follow Jesus, and even in the midst of following him, we can deny him. I know for me, when I reflect on this passage, I can't help but feel like the disciples, wanting to follow him, desiring to do so, but yet failing miserably. The hope we have from this passage is that Jesus came specifically for those of us who cannot follow him as we should. That he came for those who, of us who are sick, who are sinners, who are in need of Jesus. He came not for the strong, but for the weak. He came not for the righteous, but those who are unrighteous. He came to offer forgiveness and love for people like you, me, and even for Judas. In the story of Julius Caesar, when, when he says, et tu brute, I can imagine the eyes of Caesar staring into the eyes of the betrayer Brutus. And you too, Brutus, you would also betray me, my confidant, my friend. I can imagine the eyes of Jesus being on Judas and the rest of his disciples. And you too, Peter, you too, Andrew, you all abandoned me. But do you think Jesus would actually do that? I don't think the eyes of Jesus that looks back at us isn't this accusatory eye or, or the resignation of Caesar. I think the eyes in which Jesus looks at us isn't with accusation, but with compassion. This is why Jesus would later say on the cross, Father, forgive them. I don't know about you, but I feel as though, though that the eyes of Jesus would be like that, that it would be accusatory. It feels that way. I wonder to myself, why do I see this passage as if I'm being accused of something? It's, not, it's because that, that is not what I, I would do if I was God. It reveals more about my lack of compassion, my lack of grace and mercy for myself and for others. It reveals how I can be so judgmental. It reveals to me that I put this heavier burden on my own, my own shoulders than to just receive the gift of forgiveness that Jesus has to offer. See, when I've read this passage in the past, I've always read the part where Jesus speaks with Judas as a strong condemnation. But woe to that man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. The word woe here in Greek can be translated as as the word compassionate, like, ah, oh, like, alas. Or it can also be translated as a strong condemnation, like when Jesus says, woe to you Pharisees, or you two hypocrites. And it can also be a combination of the two. 
I've always seen it as a condemnation, this passage of the woe to you, uh, Judas. But, but in light of the Lord's Supper and the cross, I believe Jesus had compassion on Judas. He wasn't saying it as if, if it was some condemnation on his betrayal, and therefore it would have been better for him if he had not been born at all, but rather a statement of compassion. Woe to you, Judas, because of your betrayal of me and of how it will affect you. How your shame and guilt would eat away at you and you wouldn't be able to live with yourself. Woe to you, Judas, because of such a hard thing that you will face in your betrayal of me. See, the tragedy of of the story of Judas isn't that he betrayed Jesus, but that he didn't realize that, that there was forgiveness offered for him that it was actually through that betrayal that there would be an opportunity for him to ask for forgiveness. Henry Nouwen, and and some of you will know that I I mention him quite a bit because I'm doing my thesis on him, so I'm I'm just breathing and living uh, Nouwen stuff. But, But he talks about how the word compassion comes from the Latin word com, which means with, and passio, which means to suffer. To suffer with is to have compassion. And Jesus suffers with us and for us. The fact that Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper in the midst of the betrayal and the abandonment of his disciples says to me that Jesus is going to the cross with his eyes wide open. He knows that one of his closest 12 disciples are going to betray him. He knows that all of the rest will abandon him. He knows that they can't even keep their eyes open while they're praying, and yet he enters into such pain and suffering because he is a God who suffers with his people. The amazing truth about our God is that he does not look at our betrayal with anger and hatred, but rather with compassion and mercy. He looks at our sins as a loving father, their lost son. He feels the pain, the shame, and the guilt that we have and takes it upon himself so that in Christ, even these things, even the betrayal of one of the closest and the abandonment isn't unforgivable, but is forgivable. We are in a sermon series called The The Joy Set Before Him. What is the joy set before Jesus that he would endure the cross? And the joy set before Jesus is us. He loves you and me and all those who betray him. The joy set before Jesus is the reality that he loves us and wants us to be free, to live free of the shame and the guilt. It is so that through such betrayals, God has entered into the most evil gruesome places of our lives, and to to say that's not the end. There is more. God is able to redeem, forgive, and restore us. Let me ask you, when, when you think about this story, and when you reflect on it, do you ever think of yourself as Judas? Like, I don't. I usually think that I'm like Peter, or like one of his other disciples. Like, I don't want to identify with Judas because I wouldn't do something so bad as Judas would. Like, I'm bad. Yeah, I'm bad, but I'm not Judas bad. I'm more like Peter bad. 
What I think we can learn from this story is that whatever it is in us that keeps us from identifying with Judas is the very thing we need to consider. We need to be able to identify with Judas because we are all capable of such things and we are all in need of forgiveness. We are all in need of receiving healing and mercy. Because in identifying with Judas, we give space for Jesus to enter into the deepest recesses of our hearts that we ourselves do not want to look into. We can't say, Jesus, just help me out in these little things where where I have some struggles. It is saying, Jesus, I really need you. I need you to be in the places that I can't even face myself. And because it is in those places, Jesus, you will enter and suffer with me and bring healing and bring me to a place of joy. As I mentioned, I want to read you a quote from Henry Nouwen, who says this about the joy of Jesus. He says, the mystery of life is that Jesus came to suffer with us so that we could be joyful. He didn't come so we wouldn't suffer, but so that we could taste that eternal life, the lasting joy that is of God, that is already in this world, already now, already precisely here. The reality is that there are many days and times in which I do betray and deny Jesus. And, and it's okay to admit that and to acknowledge that we need Jesus. The amazing news about the gospel is that God so loved the world that he loved you and me that he sent his son so that, we can enter into the, so that he can enter into depths of our suffering and death and through it give us life. He loves us that much. So don't let your guilt turn into a reason to doubt your faith nor to hide away. But rather through it, may you find Christ, who doesn't judge you with those eyes, but rather sees you with compassion. May the et tu brute be an invitation to turn to Jesus rather than a way of judgment. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you that you are a compassionate God, that you're a God who suffers with us, that you enter into the places that we would rather avoid, that you enter into the darkness where we are afraid. And I thank you that it is through the cross, through the betrayals, through misery, through death, that through that you give us life, that you give us hope and you give us joy. So Jesus, we invite you to enter into our lives to the places that we don't want to go. And help us to see your eyes of of compassion, your eyes of love, and take away the shame and the guilt and the blame and the fear. And help us to receive your forgiveness and your love for us, to know that we are so loved by you. Thank you, Jesus, for your love. And in your name we pray. Amen.